Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about seeing Satan's schemes. We'll talk about scheming this morning. Uh, you know, missionary uh, Gwen Forth, she tells this story that she had come to the United States temporarily while her husband remained in South India, and this is in the late 1940s, early 1950s, and she got word that their Bible school principal was critically ill, and her husband sent that word back, and she called on churches around her in the United States to pray, and one specific group of women in the women's ministry gathered together for several hours with intense prayer, and uh, they called in the family, and they said, he's not going to make it. And so the students, even at the Bible school, came into his room, this principal's room, uh, and began to pray all night long. And as they were sitting there, uh, several of them, the door to the room opened, and what looked like men in white, shining clothes walked in and surrounded the bed, and they had swords, and they lifted their swords up and put them to a point over the bed, making a canopy of swords, she said. And they began to look at one another, thinking they were dreaming. They kind of poked and talked to one another, and they realized it's not just me seeing it. They're seeing it too. We, we are awake. This isn't a dream. And in their hearts, they asked God, who are these people? What is this? What's going on here? And the Lord spoke into their hearts and said, these are the prayer warriors in America praying for your principle. And they are keeping back what the enemy is trying to harm and as they looked, they looked up, and above the canopy of swords were dark, evil, satanic forces trying to kill this principle. And from that night, they would pray, and then uh, the Lord would heal him and restore him, and he would go back to his work uh, uh, as a principal at this foreign Bible school, and he goes back into his ministry. Uh, sometimes in this life, there is more to things. There's more to what meets the eye, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes there are weeks or days that go by in this world, and you're like, man, more things have gone wrong this week than normal. Uh, my job is harder. The kids are crazier, right? Uh, more things seem to break. Uh, I remember not too long ago, it was just like, my truck broke, then my washing machine, and then it was my fridge, and then it was my stove. I had to replace a fridge and a stove within a couple of weeks of each other. And it was just like, seems like all kinds of things are going wrong, and it would make you irritable. It would make you more stressed out, and all this emotion. And it's like, man, it was more temptation came in to go back to my old life and think thoughts I normally don't want to think and do things I don't like to do. And, and then you begin to argue with people a lot more, and you think more negatively about people and people just you know you just want to punch somebody by the end of the week how many people have weeks like that sometimes if it's every week you need more prayer but but sometimes it's just like ah oh, what is going on this can't be normal man god is something going on is there more to it is there more to things happening right now now i don't believe that there is a demon or a devil under every rock I don't think there's a spirit of flat tires and a spirit of this and a spirit of broken refrigerators. We don't believe in that. That's way out there, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't attribute everything to the devil. We know that this life is, a, we're in a broken and fallen world. There's death, there's accidents. Sometimes just random coincidences do happen. So I don't want to attribute more to the devil than he deserves. But I want to be aware 
that God, is there something going on in my life that maybe, God, there's something supernatural happening here, and I want to be aware of the enemy's schemes. Now, Ephesians, turn with me, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The Apostle Paul says that we are in a battle. Whether you realize it or not, he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Heavenly places is the good place of uh, where God is also, but it's also this evil. But he basically says there's a spiritual world that is a part of the reality of the Christian life. And whether the world recognizes it or not, there is a spiritual world beyond this one. And sometimes there is crossover. There are things that happen in one world that affects the other and the other world that also affects this world. And he says that we are in a fight of faith. That you're in a battle against a large satanic campaign. And he says in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he says... I don't want to be unaware of Satan's schemes that he would not outwit me. He didn't want us to be he, for himself. He says, you know, this is a guy who's going up against the Roman Empire. He's going, getting shipwrecked. He's getting snake bit. He's getting beaten. He's getting left for dead. He's getting stoned. People hate him. And he's saying, I know I got physical, real-world opposition here. There's a financial issue Paul has. There's a physical issues he has. He's getting older. There's political issues that he has. There's religious issues with Jews that he has and, and all these churches. I know there's real-world issues but he says, I don't want to be unaware of Satan's schemes unless he outwits me or he might outsmart me. I don't want to fall to temptation or these things and understand there is more than meets the eye. You know, there are days you're going to feel tired. You're going to be conflicted. Uh, natural things in the world are going to happen. You're going to, you might find a moment of doubt. You might feel lonely. Uh, you might be too busy to pray. And these are the days that Satan's schemes are going to show up. You have to be aware that you're in a battle. You know, I don't, I ch I'm going to challenge myself even today that as I go through my week to remind myself, God, I'm in a battle. I'm in a battle. Can you imagine what would happen if there was a soldier in the U.S. Armed Forces who did not know they were in a battle? You go over to Afghanistan, Iraq, somewhere, and you just thought you were there. I'm in the army, but I'm not in a battle. I'm not expecting the enemy to shoot us right now. But, but what would happen? That person has to be not only physically prepared for anything at any time, they've got to be mentally, emotionally trained and ready for anything to happen. And as a Christian in our lives, it's very much the same way. If we just go throughout our weeks not really thinking about the enemy and not thinking about spiritual warfare. And it's, again, not going all crazy into it, but at least just saying, God, I want to be aware that there might be something that doesn't like me. And there is a person, a, a devil, a, a being who hates you, by the way, and he is out to scheme that you and I might fail in our calling for Jesus Christ. And like a good soldier, we want to be on our game. Amen? And so let's talk about this a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about being secure in Christ and seeing Satan's schemes. The way we see Satan's schemes is to be secure in Christ. So let me talk to you a little bit about the who and the, the how and the what. And the first is this. Who do we fight? Who do we fight? We have an adversary. The Bible says there is an enemy 
and he goes by many names. And uh, one of them is Satan, which means adversary or accuser. The Bible calls him the father of lies, the deceiver, the tempter, the old serpent, the prince of devils, the prince of this world, the powers of the air. He's got a kingdom of darkness, right, uh, with armies or legions of demons, demonic powers. And this is, he's strategic, he's manipulative, he works to create false doctrines, pervert the word of God, to blind people, to tempt people, to afflict people, to undermine and deceive and George Whitfield, a great American evangelist from uh, years back in the American uh, great, great Awakenings, he said there was a lot of scheming that was going on, and he basically kind of paraphrases this. It's, for instance, think about these in your life. Satan, can, Satan and his legions, he can uh, drive us to despair, for instance. He can think, man, you can think, I'm just too much of a sinner for God to save me. We heard that before, that he is scheming us to think what God can or cannot do. He can tempt us to be proud, to look down on others. Even great men of God can get to a place where they think themselves better than other people. God, they've fallen prey to a scheme. He can put doubt in our hearts. He can make us even question our salvation. You ever go through your life and all of a sudden you just feel like, I don't even, am I saved? Like you've been serving the Lord for years. You love the Lord. You read your Bible. You pray. And then you just have these moments of darkness that kind of cloud your mind. You think, maybe this is all fake. Maybe I'm just doing this, and maybe it's emotional. I've thought this. I think it all the time. Maybe, what if this isn't real? I've wasted my life. I should have went out and just had a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, think about it. You just, these, like, where did that thought come from, you know? Uh, he can tempt us uh, to be impure or have unbelieving thoughts. Do you just be going through your week, and, man, and then a thought run through your mind, and you think, what in the world? Where did that evil, ungodly, un, unholy thought come from? I, don't, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking about chocolate chip cookies or something. And then, and then some other crazy thought about hating somebody comes in or lusting after somebody comes in or being proud or I can't believe so-and-so. And you're like, I'm not, what in the world is this thought? And he says that he can cause others to tempt us into walking away from God. You've ever been trying to get closer to God and here's all these old friends coming out of the woodwork you haven't heard about in years and people are posting things about on Facebook and, and it's just like, it's pulling you back. And you're like, man, there's so much negativity and, and where does all this old stuff is coming back? I haven't, I haven't wanted to drink in years or I haven't struggled with pornography in years and, and then here's all this stuff you're just flooding your mind or flooding your life. Well, the enemy is scheming. He wants you. He, he wants to take you out. And he loves to come when you least expect it. So that's who we're fighting. But what about the, the where and the when? And from what position do we fight? Look in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. So that's the who. Let's talk about the where and the when. Ephesians 6, 10 says, Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, Put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes. Everybody say schemes. Schemes of the devil. So look at this verse. He says, number one, be strong in who? The Lord. Not strong in yourself. Not strong in your own Christianity. Not strong in your own understanding. Not strong that I've been a saved Christian for 10 years or I pay a good number of tithes and the church shouldn't like me more. There's, I'm not being strong in what I can do or accomplish or my education or Bible knowledge or how many scriptures I can memorize or how good I've been in my life. He's saying be strong in Jesus Christ. It's him. And he's saying this is the position from where you fight. You're going to fight all the time, every day. 
But the position that you're fighting from is really the crux of everything we're going to talk about this morning. You have to fight from the position of Jesus Christ. Amen? And he says, uh, be strong in the Lord. This means i got to know who I am. Man, the Satan is a liar, a schemer, a schemer. He wants you to forget everything that God has done for you. So look at this. He says, I'm just going to give you some scriptures about who you are. Okay, I think one of the big things that our teenagers and our young adults go through in this life is not knowing who they really are. The world is an identity crisis. And it's so very important. This is where Satan hits hard. It's uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, Paul would say, hey, you are a people who've been redeemed by his blood. You've been forgiven of sin by God's grace. Colossians, he says that you are, your sins have been nailed to the cross. Jesus has paid your debt. Colossians says he's disarmed demonic forces. He's overcome death in the grave for you. You've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. You've been transferred or translated to the kingdom of God's Son. Ephesians 2.6 says, you have been seated with Christ in heavenly places, a new spiritual reality. You have a, a different position. You have a place of purpose in Christ. And we know Revelation says that we will overcome this person, this demonic force, through how? What? It's through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our what? Testimony. This is who you are. You are in a place of victory. You are in, a, in Christ. And he says, I stand firm in this. Know who you are. I am, I am not what I was. I have been forgiven. This is what Christ says about me. This is what Christ has done for me. I'm not this old piece of trash that I was or thinking bad things about myself or others or, or full of darkness and evil. Yeah, maybe I'm struggling against those things. There's an old nature, old flesh, but I am something different today, right? And he says, stand fast or stand firm. He's saying, guess what? Hold the line. You ever seen these great, war, I'm a, I love war movies and all this, and a lot of these guys, you go out there and the, and the battle is fighting. What is the leaders normally saying? Hold the line. Hold the line. Keep, keep the boundary. Keep, keep fast. Stay fast. And that's exactly what Paul is encouraging them to do. He's saying, you are in a position. Don't lose your ground. Don't lose your footing. He's basically saying, put that foot down. Put one and grit it out. He's saying, do not take a step backwards hold the line you are in a position and if you don't know who you are or where you're fighting from you've already lost if you don't know your identity in Jesus Christ if you're not secure in him in his victory then you're already going to lose and so you've got to be secure in what the word of God said Jesus has done for you it's not about how I feel sometimes I don't feel like fighting sometimes I don't feel like I'm a good Christian sometimes that's feelings but he's saying, hold the line, right? Because the enemy's always going to be scheming to get through you, right? And he might get through me, he might get my brother, my sister, but I'm holding the line. And so I'm fighting from a position of victory, right? You know, um, we've already won the war, but the battle has continued on. You know, in uh, 1812, the War of 1812, there was a, a battle that happened really not far from here uh, near New Orleans, and uh, the 10,000 British troops came against 4,000 American soldiers. I'm not a history buff, but I read this story. I thought it was interesting. And they come, and it became one of the bloodiest battles from the British side. But little did they know that a few weeks earlier, 
America and Great Britain had signed a peace treaty, and the war was actually already over. But because of no satellite and technology, the news hadn't gotten yet. And that's exactly like you and I today. The full redemption and the victory of the cross has been completed. It's been signed. It is finished. But the full redemption and victory is still waiting on Jesus' second return. So we're still in the battle, but you and I are fighting not for victory, but from victory. Amen? It, it matters that you know that. That it's not that I'm fighting to win. You've already won. It's been over. It's finished. He's lost. And Satan is going down, but he's not going to go down without a fight. Right? He, he knows he's lost. And the Bible says that he has been thrown down to this earth. He knows he's, and he's angry. He's mad. And he's upset. He's going to try to take as many people with him as he can. I don't want you to be one of them. And I don't want you to be one of them. We want to say, God, I'm standing my ground that I am a child of God. My sins are nailed to a cross. Jesus has already disarmed Satan's forces. I have overcome the grave. I am in the kingdom of God. I am seated in heavenly places. I will overcome because of the blood of the Lamb and now my testimony. Your testimony is the place where you're standing today. You're standing fast. He's getting you the place of victory by his blood, but I'm going to hold the line with a testimony that Jesus Christ has won. Somebody say amen. amen. This is, uh, and it, you know, like, Pastor, this is real spiritual. It's kind of different. It's kind of spooky. Well, this is reality. There is a world that we have to be aware of what we are about. We're not just a good religious club with some good doctrinal beliefs and sing some good songs and do a bunch of charity work. We are a part of a spiritual kingdom, and there is a kingdom of darkness, and there is a kingdom of light. And a lot of Christianity doesn't go this way very much today. We want to have a very humanistic, very earth-centered Christianity. Do you know what I'm talking about today? There's so many Christians, they don't have an awareness of a spiritual reality. But he says there's going to be an evil day. Satan knows his time is short. He's going down, but not without a fight. And we should walk wisely, Paul says in Ephesians 5.15, just a chapter earlier. He says, you've got to walk wisely because these days are evil. There is more satanic attack now than there was in the Old Testament because Jesus came and defeated him. And so now from the time from Christ to the time of his second return, that is the evilest day. Can't you tell? Can't you tell the depravity of man is going crazy, that the world is, at a, it is a crazy place today? So he says, you should walk wisely. He says, I want you to put on something. And, and in this uh, thing we're about to talk about, we're talking about this armor of God. I want you to understand that there is a mighty power at work within you. And you can do more than you think you can. But it's not some mechanical formula. And it's not something that you literally get up in the morning and, you know, put on. It's not something you can do, but it is who you are. And the armor of God is all about this. It's your security in Christ. It's your, your, your boundaries, your defense, your offense. It's who you are in Him. The armor of God is things every single one of you have received the moment you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit was born again in your heart. And so that's who you are. 
Let's talk about how we fight. How we fight. Uh, you know, there was a moment in my ministry. I'm, I'm not, I really don't go into the spooky and, and the prophetic stuff. I believe in it all. But, you know, I think there are some people that kind of go way out and, and left field. And you can see that on TV and, and books and stuff. There was a moment we were making big advances into um, our community up there, up there in Missouri. And we were staff pastors there. And we were, you know, we, we were going door to door. We were doing block party outreaches in inner city. I mean, we, had, we were in a place of crime. Uh, with, there was a strip club just next to our church. There was bars. There was one of the uh, most uh, crime-ridden high schools right across the street from our church. And we were beginning to advance and do all these outreaches. We were doing monthly prayer walks and going door to door. And I would go to every door within a 12-block radius of our church just believing God for revival, Right. And uh, one day Beth had gone on to work, and I was kind of still laying in bed, and I was uh, asleep, and I began to wake up. You know, and, and doctors call this sleep paralysis. Maybe you've heard of it or you've been a part of it. Uh, and it's a medical thing, but for me in this moment, it never happened to me before and never happened since. And while I said, while some things were in a fallen world, there are medical things. Sometimes it's not just medical, right? There's another thing behind it. In this moment, I, woke, I began to wake up. I woke up, but I realized in that moment I could not move. I could not move, I could not speak, I could see, but I could not get up. And I felt this evil just in the room, just evil in the room. And I began, I, I recognized it in my spirit what, what the something more was going on. I did try to say Jesus, I tried to pray, I, I couldn't get my mouth to open, I couldn't do anything, I'm panicking in my head, there's nobody here in my house, what's going to happen? And this fear came over me and this darkness came over me. And I began to struggle and struggle and struggle. And finally, I was able to say, Jesus. And immediately I woke up, and I tell you not, on my grave, a evil, shrunken head of a face flew from the corner of my room across, the, across my room and disappeared. And I woke up sweat, sweat covered. There was something else there behind this medical condition. Now, I'm not saying every time sleep paralysis is a demonic thing. It is a, it is a condition. But I know that there, for me as a Christian, there is more than meets the eye. And you need to know what authority you fight with. You need to know how to do battle against the enemy. And here's Paul. Look in verse 13. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, he's seeing this. I can imagine he's looking at this guy. And he's saying, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. That's every day for us. And having done everything to stand firm, hold the line. Stand firm, therefore, and he gets the list. He says, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, which will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert. He knows he's a schemer. With all perseverance and petition for the saints. Again, it's as I go through this, one of the things I thought about as I began to think about this sermon this morning, I don't want to just, I've heard this sermon many times. I've heard people talk about the armor of God. And I, I always viewed it as this mechanical thing. And I, I got so caught up in the illustration of the armor I forgot what Paul was really telling me. And this morning, and I'll talk about the armor a little bit, but I don't want to focus on the armor and the, the soldier part. I want you to focus on what Christ has done 
and the schemes the devil uses to attack you. So the first one is this. He says, fight deceit with truthfulness. Satan loves to deceive people, right? He tries to deceive people from truth. The first thing he lists is truth. Everything Satan does is in darkness. Everything he does, but God shines a light. He doesn't want us to be honest with ourselves. He doesn't want you to be honest with God. Think about it. What did he do with Adam and Eve? He wanted them to hide from God, be separate from God. He began to lie. Who God said, Adam, what happened here? He said, oh, Eve did it, and then the devil did it. And, you know, all these other things, he began to lie. He began to hide. And, you know, you look at people, and you find someone who just fallen. You think, my gosh, how did that person go to church every week, sing on the worship team, pay their tithes, and still fall into that? You know, people, you wonder, like, how in the world? How in the world could someone that, walking close to God, do that horrible thing? And we look at it. You know why? Because they were deceived. They weren't honest with themselves every time they came to God in prayer. They weren't honest with God every time they came to God with prayer. I have seen some great people who you think, man, they worship Jesus, and then they fall. They're not being honest. You can come and put on the show. You can come and you can have good prayer time with God. But there, you never get to this introspection of truth that, you know what? What is my real motivation behind my life right now. Maybe I am sinning and I don't even realize it. You haven't gotten, you don't let your prayer go deep enough where God can tell you there's some lies in your life. There's some hidden things you don't want me to see. You're holding on to things and you don't even know why you're doing the things you're doing. That, that you, could, you could have selfish motivation and still be on the Christian life. You could have hidden secret sin and still be going this Christian life. And he says the first thing you gotta do, like a belt that binds you together, a Roman soldier had a belt that everything connected together on and the sword was held on. And Jesus says what? I am the truth. I am the way. I'm the truth and the light. And there has to be this honesty. It's not just the word of God truth here. It's the truthfulness of a believer. The Bible says in Ephesians, Paul had said before, speak the truth with one another. That means you've got to have truth with God. You've got to have truth with yourself. And you've got to have truth with others. I'm telling you really what I'm, I am who I say I am. There's not this dual nature, this two-facedness. I'm not two-faced with myself. I'm not two-faced with God. Because if you are, you're deceived. And Satan loves to make you think you're something that you're not. So you have to be honest. Everything comes out in the light. I'm speaking truth with God, myself, and with others. That's number one. He wants to deceive you and attack your truthfulness. Number two is this, he wants to accuse you and accuse your righteousness. Second thing Paul lists is righteousness. So here's this Satan accuser. What does he do next? He comes against you with shame and guilt. He says, oh, if people only knew what kind of a Christian you really were. If they only knew the real you and what you had really done and the thoughts you think, man, you, don't, you call yourself a Christian, there ain't no way God's going to save you. Anybody ever heard that in your voice, in your mind before? Right? I have. If people only knew. He wants you to have a callous and hard heart, Ephesians 4.19. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to hold on to grudges and unforgiveness so that you're going to fail to leave a life, live a life that's pleasing to God. He's attacking your right standing, your righteousness. And so we remember what? Like a breastplate, Jesus is our righteousness. He is guarding our heart. And so Paul lists that. He says it's a breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? That's your right standing 
with God. Righteousness, right standing with God. That's my peace, my, my position in God. Jesus, the Bible says, took your sin and gave you his righteousness. So I don't stand with Christ on my own accord or my own good merit or my own holiness. I'm standing, I'm shielded from judgment and accusation because Jesus has become my breastplate. Are you with me? It's not me. I can't do anything. It's not my armor. It's his. It's his standing. I am standing in Christ's standing. Think about it. So when he comes and attacks you, you say, you're right, devil. I am a horrible person. Or at least I was. But now I stand in the righteousness of Jesus so that, why? Paul says there is no, no condemnation any longer for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk no longer according to the flesh but now walk according to the Spirit. Make sure you get that last part in there. It's not just no condemnation in Christ Jesus because a lot of people think they're in Jesus and walk according to the flesh. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not walking according to the flesh. There's a spiritual new heart in me. It's Christ's heart. I've been translated into something new. And so he's accusing me, but I'm devil. You're a liar. You're a slanderer. I'm not receiving those thoughts. I'm not who I was. I stand in the position of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? All right. So number three, he wants to trouble you and take away your peace. Third one is the peace one. This is all defensive, by the way. Peace. He wants to trouble your footing. He wants to shake your world. You ever had those times where, man, the whole world is just shaking around me? He wants to rob your peace between God and others. He wants the church to not have peace. He wants them to be divided. Oh, Satan loves to divide a church. He wants you to be confused, disillusioned, to forget your purpose. If you don't have peace, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fail to share the gospel because it's a gospel of peace. It's a gospel that says there's now peace with God and now there's peace with other people. That's what he does. He broke down the middle wall of separation. He makes people who are all diverse in all different places. He makes them into one people before God. He gives them peace with God. They got peace in their heart. And if Satan can get in there and he can put a block between you and God, and doubt and unbelief and trouble. And if he can put a block between you and your spouse or a block between you and your pastor, a block between you and other believers, man, there is no peace. There's no peace. And he says, just like a Roman soldier had to have special shoes for a secure footing, he says, man, when the gospel comes in your life, it's good news that there is peace with God. There is peace with others. It's sure footing. It's solid ground that I won't be pressed back or falter. These shoes give me traction. And I know Ephesians 2.14 says that Christ himself is my peace. He's my peace. When those moments come, I would encourage you this. Remind yourself of all that God has done. That's the peace with God. And then begin to remind yourself of your testimony. That's going to remind you, man, there's some good news in my life. Man, I know it's trouble all around me, but I got some secure footing that there is peace with God. And because of Jesus, not because of me, there's peace with other people. And God has got all this working out for my good. I'm called according to his purposes. I love God. And so I have peace. It doesn't matter all the junk going on around me. I'm secure in this message of the gospel. And as I begin to tell my testimony, guess what I get reminded of? How good God's been. You know, people who keep their testimony all to themselves, you really quickly forget how good God's been. And if I can't tell my testimony, you know what I need to do? Go to a small group, hear somebody else's story, what God's been doing in their life. I get reminded, oh man, this is a good news gospel. This is something positive. This is something uplifting that there's peace today. Number four is this. 
He says he's going to come against you in your faith with fear. The Bible says Satan's like a roaring lion. He's terrorizing. He shoots fiery darts, Paul says. He wants you to do what? He wants you to turn back. Man, if you begin to grow in Christ, man, it's going to come. I'm going to just say this. All hell is going to break loose. When you go in, you, you go in for God, God, I'm taking my Christianity up to the next level. Woo, get ready. All those fiery darts are about to get launched at you. It's going to be, I want him to turn back. If you begin to work in an outreach team or you begin to serve in a ministry, man, everything in your life is just going to go wrong. There's fear and doubt and disbelief and trouble. All this stuff's going to be advancing against you. But he says, but that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to take out your faith like a Roman soldier's shield. Faith is both offensive and defensive. A Roman soldier had that four-foot shield, and they would interlock together. You can see these on the movies. They interlock together. They cover the whole guy, but then another guy behind him would come and put it up. You've seen this? And as they begin to take a step, they would actually mark in step, and they would take a step forward together, linked, and they could press through. You've seen this on the gladiator kind of movies. They could even stop chariots against them. They could take one step, and as a whole unit, they would move together, and even the chariot would flip over and fall apart because faith was a shield. And even those... Uh, uh, those shields even had a gap in it when a flaming arrow would come it would go through the first part of that wood wooden shield and extinguish itself in the middle where there was a gap and so it would even it sent it would put out the flames the shield was designed in such a way and faith is designed the same way as you begin to trust in the Lord and believe in his word and believe on who he is then it's like I have this both defensive and offensive thing for me it puts out fiery arrows. It extinguishes the flames. My faith links with my brothers and sisters. We press forward together. And so we look in Ephesians. Paul says, remember that Christ dwells in your heart through faith. And remember, you have access to God's presence through faith. And so I can know this. If God is for me, who can be against me? What weapon can, can prosper, right? If God is on my side, whom shall I fear? I don't have to be afraid of terror by night or if the arrows come. Remember, if pestilence or disease, remember that psalm? That I have God. And so as the devil comes and puts fear in your life, you can say, "What? Well, you know what, devil? I'm linking arms with my brothers and sisters. Bring some alongside you and say, you know what? I know what I believe. I don't care what it looks like. That's faith versus fear. Number five is this. He brings confusion to your salvation. The real battle is in your mind. Ephesians 2 says, man, he wants you to indulge in the desires of your mind. He wants the world to be darkened and understanding. Ephesians 4.18. He wants you to be double-minded, two-faced. He wants you to hear the word, but not really do what it says. And like a helmet, salvation comes upon us, and we get these new minds in Jesus Christ. Jesus renews our mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. We begin to think differently, act differently, uh, talk differently, walk differently. Everything becomes because I know that I have a salvation work in me. And every spiritual weapon, Paul said, man, with these spiritual weapons, he says, we were taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We're every speculation every lofty thing, all these philosophies, all these false doctrines, we're bringing it all captive because we have a new mind and we can see Jesus. We know who he is. We have a salvation 
that has transformed our minds. And Paul, as Paul says in Romans, he says, as you live your life as a living sacrifice, the Holy Spirit's going to come in. He's going to renew your mind, and you're going to find out what God's will is for your life. So what does that mean for you and me? Center your thoughts on Jesus. Think about heavenly things. Think about your salvation and get that new mind. Number six is this. We're moving along. Six is the trickery. Man, he loves a trick. He says he's going to trick you about the word of God. And so maybe perhaps his most popular one is where he uses half-truths. That's where things sound good. They really aren't good. Think what he did with Eve. Oh, yeah, surely God doesn't care if you do this. He wants you to be like him. Look what he did with Jesus in the, in the uh, wilderness. You know, God says if you jump off of this place, he's going to catch you. And, he's, and Jesus, what does he do? Every time, what does he respond with? He says, yeah, devil, but man shall not live on bread alone. Yeah, but you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. He began to quote scripture. And when Paul writes the word of God here, it's not the logos, which is the written or, or the, the paper word of God. You know, the, the adult idea of the word. But it's the rima word. It's the spoken word. And so as you begin to speak the word, the devil has to flee. He, he can't combat it. People like to use parts of the word to make false doctrines. They like to use parts of the word. The devil wants to come against you and says, you know, yeah, but you are, you are a horrible sinner. And you say, yeah, I was. But here's what the word of God says about me now. And you begin to quote the word. But here's the challenge. You got to know it to quote it. You got to know it to quote it. And when the devil comes against you, you need some backup. You need some, some sword here. It's like a sword, the word of God. And, and it's a double-edged sword. The Bible says in Hebrews, it can pierce the, the joint and the marrow, which is the soul and the spirit. It can go down to the depths of a man. It can combat the enemy both offensively and both defensively. It's, remember that short, it's a, like a gladiator sword. It was short. It's a personal hand-to-hand, getting close in there with me, devil. It's not just uh, he's shooting things from way off, but, man, sometimes the devil gets in your mind. You're alone at night. He begins to whisper things. Why don't you just turn that TV on? Nobody's going to know what you're watching. Why don't you just turn that computer on? Nobody's going to know what you see. Why don't you just call somebody? Man, nobody knows what you're really thinking about that person. You just take a little bit of money. Nobody will ever know. You just steal a little bit more time from that clock on that punch-out card. Nobody will know that you're cheating your boss. All these little things. He begins, and you say, no, 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 no. I'm going to speak the word of God. I'm not just going to know it and, and, and read it on a page. I'm going to begin to speak it out. One of the greatest things you can do is pray scripture over your life and, and begin to refirm, affirm that in your heart. And as you begin to get in those moments, the Bible says the Spirit will tell you what to say in those moments. He'll remind you of the word of Jesus. It's like Peter and and John getting before the Sanhedrin. They were simple, uneducated, unlearned men. But people knew they'd been with Jesus because they began to speak the word of God with boldness. You have to be a people speaking the word of God. Number seven, the last one is this. He loves you to come against Fail, fail in obstacles because you've got no prayer life. The last thing Paul lists there, it's not really what we would say a part of the armor, but it's so vitally important, as he says it's spirit-led prayer, praying in the Holy Spirit, spirit-led, spirit-empowered prayer. This is intercessory prayer. This is the prayer that brings breakthrough in your life. This isn't a now I lay me down to sleep. Lord, I raise my hand in church. Oh, yes, pastor, amen prayer. This is a I'm on my knees. I'm faithful. I'm fervent. I'm passionate. I'm zealous. I'm continuing. I'm meeting together like those women who met for that 
principal in uh, South India. They prayed for an hour for the healing of just this one person, and God did mighty heavenly works. The prayer of a righteous person is going to avail, accomplish much, because it's not just them praying a little weak, petty prayer. It's a, no, 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 I'm praying fervently, continually, with intensity and passion. I'm praying as the Holy Spirit prompts me to pray, and He begins to pray through me. I remember one time, and I'll wrap up with this. I remember one time I was at a, I preached a little conference one time for a, a Chi Alpha group, my Chi Alpha group up in Missouri. And as we called the altar down, the altars were full, and I went over to this side over here, and I began to pray for a young boy. When a boy, is a college kid. And I began to pray for him. No idea what to pray for, but as I began to pray, man, words just started coming out. Just, it wasn't he, Harris, praying anymore. And as I began to pray, I began to pray for his dad and his relationship with his dad and images that he had problems with, his own identity because his dad didn't love him. And all this stuff began to come out, and I just began to pray with intensity, believing God for this. And he gets up, and he said, how did you know all of that stuff? And I said, I didn't. That's what God wanted you to know and hear. And God was doing something. And you, be, you have to pray through and with the Holy Spirit. And there's normal prayer we pray for through our life, but there are moments where God comes upon you. Maybe there's a thought, and you get a thought about somebody at church. Guns in your mind. You're praying. That's because God wants you to pray for that person. You don't know what they're going through. Or maybe there's a situation or circumstance. God puts it on your heart you get passionate for. That your prayer is not just a, oh, it's a prayer, and maybe God hears it. No, no, God is doing things through a church that prays. That's when we devote Sunday nights to our prayer meeting at our church because the prayer of the faith saves the sick, and it's the prayer offered in faith that moves mountains, that there are uh, spiritual obstacles that are only moved by a praying man or woman of God. D Jesus said there are even some demonic opposition, some demon forces that are only moved by prayer and fasting. There is, it's a prayerful person. He's not saying a person who just prays a prayer. He's saying, no, a person who lives a prayer-centered, spirit-filled life. And I challenge you, if you want to see moving of mountains in your life, you have to be a person and a people of prayer, full of the Holy Ghost. We need more prayer in our churches. I'm not talking about prayer times in the service. I'm talking in your home, in your prayer closet, in your war room, intercessory prayer. Be secure in Christ and see Satan's scheme. This week, I want you to walk out of this place with a different perspective. And again, it's not a mechanical thing that you come and there's some formula here. All of this is your security in Jesus Christ. Who are you fighting? Where are you fighting from? And how are you doing it through what Christ has already given you on the cross? Amen? Would you bow your heads, worship team? Would you come? Rejoice. Not that you can overcome demons and that you have authority over the devil, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life.